So if you've not been with us these last couple weeks, uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed with where we're going, because I want to take a little bit, uh, uh, take a little bit different approach this morning, or hopefully what's different for you. We've been in this series called Borrowed Breath, and really what we're doing is we're, we're deconstructing our thoughts on the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit <clears throat> in an effort to, to kind of reconstruct it in a way that makes sense to us in our context and, and place. And so as we lean into kind of the historic theology of the Spirit of God, we're also trying to some, ask some bigger questions of what has that meant, and hopefully what that's allowing us to do is zoom out of our own personal experiences within all of that. So the first week, what we observed is that the word ruach is actually the word translated in the Hebrew Bible, uh, spirit, spirit of God, and it's not actually there that much. It's only there 23 times, and most literally, it just means breath. That for the ancients... Uh, the, the first thing that the Spirit of God meant before it meant all of these kind of esoteric things was it just simply reminded them that what was in them didn't belong to them, uh, that life is at its core a stewardship issue, that, that you don't get to keep it and you don't possess it, but that we live with borrowed breath. Energy on loan is one way uh, that, that I've been saying that to myself. And then last week, you know, we, we, we asked the bigger question, I think, of how do you know if the Spirit of God is there? And this is part of this thing we do when we're looking for churches or we're trying to whether, believe whether or not we should read this book or trust this person or believe what she's saying. Because we're constantly asking, like, so is, is, is God really with them? And what we explored last week was uh, that the text dives into that conversation pretty, pretty headlong, pretty headfirst. And, and, and the decision that it comes to, if we're honest with the theology of the text, is that the, the, the answer is fairly clear, and that is you'll, you'll know it because the fingerprint of God shows up in the form of mercy and justice. Uh, that in the words of Dr. Delamarder, and I love this phrasing, that the character of God is mercy and the core values are justice. And if you're going, how do I do that? Welcome to parenting. Like, welcome to leadership. Wel welcome to relationship in general. And yet that seems to be what the story is doing, is demonstrating that even God lives within the, the tension and the vulnerability of all of that. So what I want to do this morning is, uh, what we're going to do for the next several weeks here is try to apply this. So for, for my part, the theology piece is done. There's these two building blocks of mercy and justice, and, and, and life, is, life is energy on loan from God, and those two things fitting together, like the Spirit with us and the Spirit with us in maybe even bigger ways. And the way I want to do that is just sheer unadulterated plagiarism, which generally means that they're even better because they're not my ideas, they're somebody else's. And where I got here was several, probably about six months ago, a friend of mine, Annie actually, who I've known for over 20 years, she shot me a text with a particular podcast that she thought I should listen to. Now, confession moment, I don't listen to most of what is sent me. And, and I'm guessing you don't either, right? Like, I don't read most of what's sent to me. It's just too hard. And that's not me saying, like, I don't want you to send it or, or, or pass me a book. Just, like, probably the same is true. But how, how many of you listen to every podcast that someone says, you ought to listen to this? Okay, thank you. So we're all in this together. I'm just kind of leveling the play, playing field there. In this case, I listened, quite frankly, because I don't know that she's ever sent me a podcast before, and also because it was an interview with a guy named Richard Rohr. Now, Richard Rohr is someone you may or may not be familiar with, and by the way, the reference to those podcasts, as well as the book it led me to, is on the notes page, and if you need that, shoot me an email if you don't get one here this morning. Uh, but Richard Rohr, for those of you that, that aren't familiar, the thing I love about Richard Rohr is, first of all, he's Catholic. Uh, he's actually, I believe, Franciscan in his uh, association. You know, they have their own denominations. They don't call them that, but whatever, within Catholicism. He's a Franciscan priest 
who is doing, and, and in my mind, the work that he's doing, and that's part of why I love about it because it's ironic, is I think he in particular is proving very, very helpful for, for those of us and many of us who grew up in an evangelical context, try to make sense of what does it look like to follow Jesus in a post-Christian, kind of post-church, and I would even say in many ways post-evangelical world. So he's, he, he, he at times is divisive, well, not divisive, but at times people will judge you on whether or not you like Richard Rohr, so be careful with that one, I kind of whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the conversation, the, the, the question that it all led me to was this, and this is this kind of this question I want us to circle around a few times this morning, is, is, is what if we're all constantly choosing whether or not to, to live from our ego or, or connected to God's spirit? Or, or another way to say that is what if we're all constantly choosing whether or not to live from our false self or our true self? Or another way he says it actually in that podcast that's my favorite is what if we're all constantly choosing whether or not to live from our floating self or our anchored self? And of course, what he's getting at there is that the floating, the, the false, the ego, it's all driven by the knots. It's, it's driven by, by a sense of like insecurity. It's driven by fear. It's driven by the sense that I have to prove really to myself, but I'm going to do that through my accomplishments and pushing others down that I actually have value. It completely misses the belovedness of God that is so present in the garden, uh, a belovedness that's it's there even after the proverbial moment where they didn't trust God. The false self, some call it the chameleon self, because it constantly changes based upon who you're sharing company with and what season of life you're in. It really has no sense of intrinsic value or identity. It's constantly trying to please others and really has no sense of the audience of one that God really is. The anchored self, of course, is the opposite. It's, it's somehow, it, it's grounded in value and virtue. It's grounded in the sense of purpose. It knows whose it is. It has the sense of conviction and purpose. And I'm not suggesting that if you're 14 years old and you're still living in this dichotomy or you're 44 years old and you're living in this dichotomy, you're doing it wrong. In fact, that for me is the question and it's what's been helpful on a practical level about this whole, um, dare I call it, dichotomy. Is that it's a reminder that, that even the very best followers of Jesus, even the disciples, were constantly, the floor is so squeaky this week, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> they're constantly choosing between these two tension points. And that unfortunately, it's not a one-time decision marked by baptism. If anything, that's a decision that's designed to say, I'm going to try to battle this thing for the rest of my life. But what if this thing called spirituality, and if you hang out here long enough, what you'll get is that my bias, and it's going to come out this morning, is that, that, that church is the means, it's not the end. Uh, that the church is designed to get us to the real game in the same way that the treadmill is designed to get us to the real game. It's not really the real game. And what if part of this is this tension between these two things? Now, I think Paul jumped right into this tension. It's easily missed because of the language he uses, and we'll talk about that. In fact, this is part of what gets Richard Rohr in a little bit of trouble because some of the things he says about Paul. But watch this. You, my brother, so he's writing at the end of the book of Galatians, which we're going to do a whole series on, the very last piece of this series, because I think the most practical thing about the Spirit of God in the New Testament, from my experience, is the book of Galatians, and it reminds us how, much, how little things have changed. But here we go. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Well, that's refreshing. Uh, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So right out of the gates, you see this dichotomous, either-or kind of situation. What voice are you listening to? In fact, I spent a good hour of your tithe time this week 
trying to find a video of the, you know, the, the, the angel and the devil thing. And I thought, certainly like Seinfeld or Friends, or the, so, certainly some kind of iconic TV show has, has done the depiction that we all watched on Looney Tunes, but I couldn't find any. But Paul, it seems, right out of the gates, uh, is pointing to this like, you're constantly choosing. And he keeps going. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's this invitation You have this opportunity, he's saying. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Question, is he giving us some kind of golden tablet of moral do's, and in this case, don'ts? Or is he illustrating that when you live from your ego... You do business differently. You coach first base differently. You pay bills differently. You, you, have, you park differently. Is he just pointing out that we're constantly choosing and, and it gets a little ugly? Then, but the fruit of the Spirit? And, and to me, what's ironic is sometimes what we do is we turn this into a series of things that we ought to work on rather than go like, oh yeah, borrowed breath. But the, spirit of the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What if whatever the heat is for you, whatever life is getting real, whether it's this great opportunity or this great suffering, what if it's constantly this tension between ego and spirit and God loves you so much that he respects you enough to choose which direction to go? Rohr tells a story in his book that I'll, I'll embellish a little bit, but it's more or less about this, this three- or four-year-old whose parents bring home a brand-newborn baby little sister. And she's only been there for a few days when, when they're getting ready for bed. The, the four-year-old says, uh, for some of you who are hoping not to have any more kids, I'm sorry, I'm about to make your job as a husband going, no, we're not having any more, much more difficult. I realize I'm not helping. Or, or I am helping, however your perspective. Anyway, so they're getting ready for bed. I just watched some elbow and ah stuff going, "Uh uh-oh, I think I just hurt the cause. So they're getting ready for bed, and the the four-year-old says, hey, hey, I want to talk to sis before we go to bed. And the parents were like, you you know, you're four, she's a newborn. And and, and to their credit, they eventually oblige. And so they take him in there, and she's in the crib still awake, and and he's like, no, get out of here, in four-year-old talk. And so, again, much to their credit, they kind of, they leave, and then the four-year-old walks up and closes the door. And they, being humans, they put their ear to the door, and I didn't, couldn't memorize this, so here, here, here's what they heard him saying. Quick, tell me where you came from. Quick, tell me who made you. I'm beginning to forget. What if we live in this tension of flesh and spirit, uh, of, of ego and spirit, of, of this kind of floating self versus this grounded self, this anchored self, And what if the story isn't that you're basically a pile of junk, but Jesus came and gave you value? What if the story is you have inherent value and God came to rescue that value? But the good news is it's not about you. It's about learning to find your purpose in serving others. See, sometimes we get all kind of twisted up here because Paul's use of the word flesh. But I think we have to remind ourselves flesh can't mean the physical Because this story is uniquely and inherently a story about a God who loves physical space. This isn't a God recruiting us to an eternal choir. This is a God 
According to Revelation and the way the story ends, according to how the story begins in Genesis, this is a God who loves physical space, who showed up in his glory in a body, who even after his resurrection had meals and was confused for another living, breathing human being, not a superhero. Flesh can't mean the physical. It has to mean something like ego, something like false, something like the voice in your head that says you have no value and learning to live within the tension of that. Here's the way Rohr says it. He says, so Jesus makes it very clear that there's a self that has to be found and then one that has to be let go of or even renounced. So here's what this looks like, uh, perhaps for me, and then we're going to get to uh, a, a weird way to apply this. But let's just, let's just start picking things. Okay, let's talk baseball. And many of you will know that my younger two play a lot of baseball, and we practice a lot of baseball. And if I'm not careful, I operate on the assumption that they're going to be the very best at baseball because I don't think there's another kid in town who practices any more than them. And that's not a have to, that's a get to. But here's where my ego comes in every spring is when you put in that much time and that much energy, uh, you, you quickly operate on the assumption that, that, that they will be the biggest studs on the field ever since Babe Ruth. And so what happens when they're not in a particular moment, in a particular game? What, what happens if they're not the best, but you know the eighth best that day? And for me, the living, breathing application of this, here we go, ego, quickly makes it about me, right? I think it's Andy Stanley who says most coaches coach the last name on the jersey, not the first, which is a way of saying what? This is more about me and what I get from you going three for three than it is about you and you're getting what you actually should be getting from youth sports, which would be things like disappointment management and competitiveness and all those things. Like you can see how for the ego, the ego wants to win why? Well, because inherently I have no value and I can maybe convince myself for the 30 minutes after the game that I have value if I win. And so it's about pulverizing people. It's about embarrassing people. But the spirit competes in what ways? Is it a wet noodle who just wants participation ribbons for everybody? I'm going to say no. But there's a different way of approaching that, isn't there? There's a way of hard work and effort and character despite the circumstances. Or you could apply this to leadership. How, maybe we ask it this way, where's the heat for you right now? Whether that heat is a positive and like, this is awesome, or the, the heat is a like, ugh, it's terminal. Where's the heat? And what if God is so practical that he meets you in the moment to, to just constantly remind, well, ego? You can die an egomaniac or connected to the spirit of God. You, you, you can be this greatly celebrated leader who everyone currently thinks that you're the greatest thing ever and be an egomaniac, or, or you can do it out of this very anchored, spirit-connected place. So here's, here's what I want to do. In, in honor of Father's Day, where we celebrate spherical objects, um, I, I, I just to, to try to make it a little practical, I just wanted to get you all one of these, and then you can try to apply it. So you ready? I've got to get all these to you. And how, Oh, man, there's a lot of people in the balcony. Hey, Zach, would you, would you be willing to carry a boatload of these up to the balcony just to put you on the spot? I, I'm glad to throw some, too, but that's a lot of people. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, no, you'll need more than that. <laughs> Plus, you're a climber, so you've got abs of steel, so it'll be okay. So I want you to get one of these little emoji things. 
Our insurance agent is Mike Allen, by the way, if you have any claims. <laughs> okay, who else needs one? We've got to be getting close. Oh, man, there's a baby back there. <laughs> but the baby should have a ball, because her last name is Ball. <laughs> Who else? How are we doing up there? I'm just really worried about the lights. Who else? I dare you. Anybody else? Randy? Anybody else need, need one still? Anybody? Who else? Y'all, y'all good? You guys good? You, you got one? Who else? Oh, nice job. Oh, here you go. Thanks, John. Who else? Oh, this is like the most, oh, right in the side of the head. I'm sorry. It's really that guy's behind you's fault. He wasn't there to protect you. Who else? Oh, jeez, that was bad. No, don't, don't. Here's the thing is when I miss you, you can't turn and look at where it went. <laughs> all right, who else? You guys all good? You need one? Serious? Or are you just flattered, like, throwing me a bone? Oh, man. Anybody? I think you're just playing a game with me now. Sweet. That's a lot of BP. Still need one? Really, I didn't have very much content, so I was trying to figure out how to fill 15 minutes. <laughs> Nobody? Everybody's good? So here we go. So good news is they even have different faces, so you can trade afterwards. Uh, but ultimately, literally, here's the question. Where's, where's the heat? Where's the good? Where's the bad? Where's life real? And... And where might God remind you that following him isn't a one-time decision, but it's, it's a living, breathing decision? Uh, a moment-by-moment, moment, trust God, not trust God. Maybe the God of the text isn't as preoccupied with are you or are you not saved. That's not to say that God doesn't care deeply about that, but maybe the story is more about trust in this moment. And maybe ego spirit stuff is just this little device and a goofy little ball that rides around on your dashboard or something can be this reminder that the people who, who thrive in this dichotomy are ones that know that it's not a decision you make once, it's not even a decision you make once a, once a day. It's this begging God to transform and rewire your subconscious in order to catch your initial reactions earlier and at the same time building systems into our lives. And the dangerous thing here is we, we love to give other people our own spiritual disciplines that work for us 
And therefore, if we're not careful, we shame them into the things they don't do rather than just going, what are the ways that, that you can draw close to God several times in a given day in order to, to reflect back, in order to, to reflect forward, in order to remind it that there's this great tension in this thing we call the spiritual life, and it's a tension between that of living into our ego living from a place that says you lack any value and living into our spirit, this place that says God wired you and has purposes for you and would love to make you one of his image bearers in this space at this time in this pain. I'd like to pray, but first we're going to have communion. Well, I'm going to, we're going to have communion, but I'm going to pray first. So we'll have elements here, here, and up there. Listen to the way Paul con- concludes this Galatians thing. He says, those, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, we've spent 2,000 years celebrating a cross, and rightfully so, because it was a decisive victory over evil, but it's also this reminder that maybe Jesus didn't die so we don't have to. Maybe he died to put on display the cruciform life, which is just a reminder that life is really found by constantly learning to live into his spirit. So elements here, here, remember we dip, we don't sip. I think we have them up there as well. Thanks, Hannah. And we also try to avoid all things finger, toes, and fingernails because it's just is cleaner if it's just the bread. So let me pray. God, uh, thank you, Lord, for the way you've uh, stepped into life with us. Thanks that you're more than an idea and more than an invisible spirit, that you are present to us in the lives of, of people who have their own successes and failures with you and we get to celebrate and learn alongside. God, as we just consider where the heat's at in our own story, um, would you use this, God, and be present to us. Amen. Hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day. So obviously, if you're a guest with us, journeying with people like Adam in their, in their mess and their story with God is part of what we get to do and part of what we as a staff get to do with, with many of you all over lunches and coffee. And oftentimes that culminates in celebrating all of that through baptism. And so just kind of want to bring forward to your attention that every September we, we do this thing called Dunkin' Dine where we rent out Clark's Bay and Hannah and the hospitality team work really, really hard to create this experience where ultimately we can celebrate through baptism. And baptism is one of those ancient, sacred traditions that we try to hold on to, uh, not, not because it's mag- magical in and of itself, but because it's historical, and it's, it's a big aspect of how people have identified as Christ followers for the better part of 2,000 years. And so the danger with something like baptism is we can create a treadmill that, that somehow you just try to fit yourself inside of, rather than recognize that what Jesus calls us to do is follow him, and that leads us to several, several decisive moments in our lives where we have to make decisions. Uh, we often talk about Christianity as this kind of a decision that we make, and of course anyone who's tried to follow Jesus knows that it, it would be nice if it was that simple, but it's not. And that oftentimes what happens with people like Adam is they look back over lots and lots of history and past and time with God and time with well-intentioned family and friends, And they go like, man, somewhere back there, I I started following Jesus. And sometimes the back there is is years or even decades. And sometimes the back here is this really the back there is this really decisive moment that you can point to, like the day and the time where this decision was made by you. 
But again, the, the, for us, the, the hope and the win is that we make sure that there's room for all of that in all of this. Uh, the, the bigger, more under, uh, important piece to us is that Jesus, following Jesus, is a decision that has to be made. Like, no one comes out of the chute a follower of Jesus, and yet, at the same time, it's not a decision we make one time. So, this September, we'll celebrate that again. Just kind of want to get out in front of you that, that we're going to do this, and if that's a part of the story that, that's kind of unfolding for you, we would love to grab lunch or coffee with you and just start that conversation. The trick here, of course, is for, for many of you, being on that screen and telling your story is a terrifying, terrifying proposition, and, and we get that. Uh, the, the one challenge I would have to you there is so much of the faith journey, especially as we do it together, is a very private thing. You can come late, you can leave early, you can, you, you can have as low of a profile as a follower of Jesus as you possibly want, and our culture is to respect that. This is, of course, the opposite of that. And my challenge to you there would be that there's a lot of people who, who work really hard in the gathering and scattering and investing resource and time into making this place happen. And this is the, one of the real clear instances that, that they, as the owners and investors, so to speak, who make this place happen, those uh, who, who are constantly putting a towel over our arm, it's, it's the instance where they get feedback of like, yes, amongst all the other things and the beer festivals and the goofy and the obtuse and the, all the different things, the, sh the shows on Sunday, so to speak, amongst all that, there's still people who are encountering the spirit of Christ and being transformed. And so this is your chance to kind of really have the story not be about you so much as them. And yet at the same time, I think it's, it can be a really positive thing. So my, my two cents to you would be if the only reason that you wouldn't get baptized is having to do that, uh, then that would probably be a pretty good indication that that might be the next right thing that God's calling you to do to kind of work through that, and we would love to do that with you. So sign-up sheets back there. We have some time. That's why we're talking about it here in June uh, so that we can not rush those conversations but have them methodically and purposely. Uh, Kate and the staff are really, really good at hosting those conversations, so we would love to do all of that with you. If, if you would kind of throw your name out there, then we'll be in touch this week. Also, if you're part of this place through your giving, of course, we have an app now. You can jump on your phone and do that. You can give uh, via the bucket that's about to come by, or you can check the score. That's the good thing is now nobody even knows if you're checking the score. You, they, they might just judge you to be a wildly generous person who's giving away millions of dollars in that very instance. So if you didn't come intending to give, that's okay too. Just let it fly right on by you. If you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online www.narratechurch.org We would love to hear from you.